0: remember the 1970s fabulous and a little bit cheesy TV show called Fantasy Island created by Gene Levitt? Well, it's been re-upped in a new form with a new cast starring Rosalind Sanchez and the new creative producers are Elizabeth Kraft and Sarah Fane. Fantasy Island just got upped for a second season on Fox TV and Adam Bellinoff couldn't be more pleased as he is a consulting producer on this current TV show. We are going to visit now with Adam Bellinoff and learn more about his career.
1: Welcome to Passion to Power with your host Michelle Zeitlin. She's a creative producer who quote unquote, "wears many hats. She's also a talent and literary manager and
0: founded the company Morezap Productions and Management. She develops people and projects
1: across all media. Her guests encompass the gamut, from artists to authors, actors to activists. Please welcome Michelle Zyland Passion to Power.
0: If you look up the name Adam Bellanoff on IMDb or IMDb Pro, you will see assorted credits that include one hour dramatic television and half hour comedy, both single camera and multi-camera. These are extraordinary credits. And they start with The Cosby Show in 1997, 1998. The series Wings, which coincidentally I tested for as an actress. Murphy Brown, one of the all time most popular and top rated TV shows. Well, so let's do an official introduction. So, Adam is a writer. He has been also an executive producer. He's listed currently on IMDb as a consulting producer. We're going to learn about all these different titles, yeah. what they mean relative to the work you're doing. Sure. Um, you have worked on iconic shows like the Cosby show. You've worked on the Star Trek franchise, Favorite Procedurals, The Closer, and Major right. Crimes. Oh, and, good. And- Thank you.
1: Glad you like them. Yeah. Yes, it's been I've been it's been a very varied career in 30, 30 years. But um, you know, well, I'm sure we'll get into more of the detail how I made the transition from half hour into into one hour. But let's uh,
0: dive in. Let's talk about that. So, I'm on the side of pitching projects often i represent talent and literary clients but i'm also a show creator in the midst right now of talking about a show i created in the half hour space so mm-hmm. i always love to talk to people like you who've been doing this for a very long time because we get different perspectives what we call pov points of view which is both terminology used for camera direction but also just in the you know the the zeitgeist of how we work you know where do you apply yourself? How do you apply yourself? How do you come at your work? And my podcast is listened to by uh, a range of people, but it's been primarily two pods of listeners that have amplified the 18 to 26 aspiring creatives. Mm -hmm. And then the people doing seismic shifts in these interesting times in the Mm -hmm. 42 to 59 is what the anchor analytics tell me people Mm -hmm. like me who have probably been in this industry but are coming at it from a different mindset or learning to adjust to the many different ways people are doing business now, from home, Mm -hmm. a lot of digital. Uh, So I would love for you to speak to those two pods and keep those audiences Mm -hmm. in mind as we talk about your journey. And I am so grateful for your time and your your expertise and and your generosity. I've had incredible guests on my podcast. And what's cool is I have some people in the UK listening. I have some people in Germany listening, um, people in Australia listening. Primarily the base is in in the United States Um, and people who wanna be artists, authors, actors, activists. So Mm. let's start with our first question here. There have been so many seismic shifts in the last 18 to 20 months. Can you talk about yours?
1: Ah, well, okay. So my my own personal shift, I think, has been significant. I don't know you know, how it's going to apply to or compared to what you've been hearing from other people. But, you know, for me, after you know, almost 30 years of working steadily in television, when uh, major crimes ended, and that was in 2018, I really wanted to take uh, take some time to really reevaluate what I what I've been doing. I mean, I really for the previous 13 years, been working on these two one hour dramas and you know it's not 12 monthly, months a year work fortunately um you know you get a, a nice a nice hiatus but it's still you know it was during a time when as i mentioned had a child and all these other things and i really wanted to figure out really what i was going to do with this next big chapter uh, in my life and so you know i've been pursuing pitching a, a few series that have ideas and projects that have meant a, a lot to me For me, it was a big change in 2018 when uh, major crimes ended a little unexpectedly because we were the uh, number one show in TNT, but the, the, the president, Kevin Riley had a different vision for really what the network was gonna be moving forward. So, you know, at, at that point, the show ended. And for me, it was 13 years, I think, of, of steady, uh, you know, consistent work uh, on that show. And you, you know really how Uh, unusual that is really for anybody to be in one place working year to year for that long and i was really ready to take a break and 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 for me it it really was about reevaluating or evaluating what i wanted to do with this next big chapter and so i pursued a, a few specific projects that have meant a lot, a lot to me, both inspired by very personal events in my life and um, seen sort of what, what came my way, including this past year, Fantasy Island. But uh, been leaning back and really not um, out there pursuing too heavily. Really, really just trying to work on things that 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 mean something to me, um, which include you know spending as much time as I can on the musical keyboard for a change. I've had. Uh, several large breaks in my life where I've gotten to go back to the piano, which has really been a passion of mine since I was young. Um, And and that's really made a difference. Um, But, uh, you know, for me, fortunately, I'm at a place where, uh, you know, I feel like I can be be that selective. So, you know, that that's been a big change, but it's really been one of the most content times in my life. I've really been working, you know, as to the degree that I've been working, it's really been with people that I really respect and admire on work that uh you know has really been very enjoyable so
0: how did the show fantasy island come to you
1: yeah so that was uh that was unusual i had uh, interviewed uh for it in december uh liz craft and sarah fain the showrunners are friends, you know, I think uh, until this year, we were sort of more casual acquaintances, but um, you know, they they had called me up in December after they had sold the show and they were really on a very fast pace at that point, the plan was um, to start shooting in April to, to be airing over the summer and they had a very tight budget, obviously not a great amount of time. And at that point in December, they said, "Well, we really are going to have a very small staff, and, and you know, we have certain directors. We just don't think we'll, we're going to be able to use you." At this point, I thought that was you know just fine. And then I got a call uh, at the beginning of April saying, "Can you be in Puerto Rico um, this weekend, this coming weekend, and, and spend the next six weeks?" Um, things were you know they were having a number of challenges. You know, launching a new show always brings a lot of unexpected complications and i think it took a while for uh the network uh, with them to really first sort of pin down exactly what the tone of the show is going to be and sort of other other elements and so you know i was very happy to join them and i kind of you know flew flew out there and uh really hit the ground running there were a couple of scripts that they had finished that unfortunately were not going to go forward so it was really a question sort of pitching on what remained, and, and helping me do some rewrites and do some writing, but honestly, it was uh, it was a wonderful experience. I love those guys, and they have a uh, and had a great um, small staff. And working in Puerto Rico was. Uh, really a a trip i mean literally metaphorically um you know probably the most unusual experience i've had very very different from from any other production i've been on and i've worked in this point obviously Los Angeles and Chicago and New York and these are places that to one degree or another have some infrastructure and uh, you know to, to do this and you know Puerto Rico is really still at this point not really uh, set up for that kind of production in the fact that they don't have a prop house or a wardrobe house or those other things so everything has to be flown in obviously you're hiring actors to come in I mean all, all kinds of things that are different uh, and that said show is still produced on a on a very reasonable budget and I think it turned out you know pretty well so there it is
0: how many episodes
1: well this was an order for 10 of which eight have already aired and there are uh, two a Christ- there's a christmas two-parter which uh, has not been exactly scheduled obviously it'll be sometime between now and christmas
0: so yeah. why Puerto Rico is it because of the idea of a fantasy yeah. island was it the yeah largest-
1: they really wanted the tropical location and also i think there were um you know budgetary things that were going to make it very um, you know very make make a lot of sense i think i assume i don't know exactly what the the tax benefits were but i believe that there were some good tax benefits and um, you know just all, any, any number of other things that made it a very reasonable place plus Rosam sanchez the star is also from puerto rico and so um, and other people were, that, that were involved in the production had had experience producing there so you know, i think it was a good a good place
0: did you always want to be a writer or did, um, you said you play the piano. Did you initially want to be a musician? Talk, talk about your little adventurous trajectory.
1: In high school, my interest was was music and theater. And I began, I think, um, writing by doing these original musical comedy reviews. That was a, a regular thing at the high school where I, uh, where I went in Chappaqua, New York. In the uh, in the late '70s, and so when I got to Columbia in the early '80s, then at that point there was no original theater being done. You know, uh, occasional, you know, obviously you'd imagine stage productions of of known plays, but I gathered together a a group of uh, of friends, and we started putting on these original reviews, which ultimately became something called The Varsity Show, which existed for many years in Columbia, and then sort of just disappeared, and actually continues to this day, which is something I'm uh, very proud of. But uh, after after graduation, I produced uh, an off-Broadway review with uh, many of these same friends from Columbia, and it ran for about six weeks. And then I was, you know, it it closed and I really uh, had a big decision ahead of me as as I felt at 23 or 24 because I had started working part-time nights at a law firm and I knew I didn't want to continue doing that for, you know, for the next many years. Um, So I applied to several law schools and got got in everywhere I applied and 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 applied to one film school almost on a lark and that was USC film school uh and did get in and convinced my parents that I'm if I took <laughs> Yeah, it was really. I thought, oh, this is. If I'm going to go to film school, this is where where I would I would really really want to go. And convinced my parents that uh, if they if they were okay with my going to film school, I would defer from law school and do that afterwards and become an entertainment attorney. Is what I told them, um, never intending or really not hoping, really well, really hoping that I would never actually have to do that. Just sort of figuring that once I got three thousand miles away and came out to LA, maybe something um, would happen that would uh, preclude my attending law school. And it did, I was just very fortunate because at the time I was graduating from USC with a master's in screenwriting, Paramount was uh, beginning a program. It didn't last long, but fortunately for me, it it began the year that I graduated uh, with a fellowship. And I was given uh, the Paramount 1990-91 Writers Fellowship. Wow. Yeah, it was great. Um, It put me on the lot. Uh, with a twenty a, 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 a luxurious uh, $25,000 stipend. Um, <laughs> and um, I had to give them a first look at anything I did, but really it just, you know, gave me the time to, and an office and sort of the feeling that I was on my way, at least, you know, a little bit professionally. But while I was there, I wrote a spec episode of a brand new show called uh, Seinfeld and another spec, if your viewers don't know a spec, spec is a sample. So I wrote a sample episode for Seinfeld and a sample episode uh, of The Simpsons, which was also a new show 30 years ago. Uh, And uh, eventually that got me to the producers of Wings, who hired me and from there I was really rolling for the next 10 or so years on on the half hour sitcom side um, which included as I said going to New York on Cosby and and going to Chicago on a Joan Cusack show but uh, you know that that really takes us to the early 2000s. Um.
0: So I just wanted to interject because I think I told you from the story when I was a young actress I actually tested for wings.
1: That's great. For the Helen <laughs> part, the Crystal Bernard role. Or for, Crystal uh,
0: Bernard role, and I adore uh, her. Oh, my yeah, God. Yeah. She's like the Betty Boop of our time.
1: Oh, yeah. She was tremendous. Right. And, it was a,
0: a little mini airport. Talk, talk about that show for those people who may not know. Yeah,
1: it was a great sitcom that was created by Peter Casey and uh, uh, David uh, Angel and David uh, Lee. Um, and uh, it was the same guys who later... Uh, not 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 even much later. Really, really, even while Wings was still going on, created Frasier, and they had all come off of Cheers, uh, and it was about um, the goings on at a little airport in Nantucket. And Stephen Weber is very very funny. Right. Tim Daly sure. were, were brothers, and and Crystal Bernard played Helen, who worked at the uh, little diner counter there and had had a romance with Joe, and just a great set of characters. Really, a lot of the feeling of of Cheers sort of moved to an airport. It's a a very, very solid comedy. And we had incredible writers. It was a real murderer's row. I think really, and I don't include myself by any means, but um, some of the best writers in sitcoms of those years, including Christopher Lloyd and Steve Levitan, who went on to create Modern Family.
0: family And was um, a parent
1: that I knew at Kentor School. <laughs> oh, is that right? Okay. Oh yeah, I know
0: <laughs> his kids.
1: <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, and ama- amazing guys, amazing, uh, amazing writers, Talk About and, uh, quite, quite, quite a way to get introduced to the business. Nice. So um, yeah, that was. That was
0: wow, was what a great. launch!
1: Yeah, so that was great. So Angel, Angel Casey and Lee had brought me on, and when they moved on to Fraser, that was when I moved on to Murphy Brown and another you know, superb experience. It was really you know, a top, top show at that time. And then I worked on a new up and coming show that sadly, I, I mean, I think was really as good as any of the sitcoms I worked on called Partners produced by Jeff, a couple of guys who were working together at the time who were not working together anymore, Jeff Greenstein and Jeff Strauss. These were guys who were coming off of Friends, uh, which at that point was also a brand new show. And this was on Fox with John Cryer and Tate Donovan and Maria Patillo, and another great sitcom. And unfortunately, I think it was really just sort of one of those cases back in the day where where placement, you know, time slot and night really made the difference. And I just think that we didn't end up retaining a lot of the Melrose Place audience that we were, you know, sort of sandwiched with and... um, and so I uh, did not make the long, the long haul, but anyway, it was, a, it was a really, it was a great, it was great 10 or so years on the half hour side and a great time to do it. Cause I don't think you really want to be working half hour hours. Once you get to be 40, it's a great life for somebody who's younger. Cause it's just the hours are just are so Wings
0: single or multi-camera show. Wings
1: is a four camera show and um, you know, we worked, we worked hard. It wasn't like some of the later shows I worked on where we were really there till two or three in the morning. Um, it was very well run. And, and, but even so, you know, you're there often till 10 or 11 o'clock at night on rewrites. It's really putting on a, um, you know, a one act piece of theater uh, every Friday night. You know, you sit with uh, the other writers and the actors and the studio network executives on, on Monday morning at 10, and you do a table read, and then the actors go home and you get notes from the network and studio. And then you dig into the rewrite. And I would say maybe one out of every four episodes may be thrown out entirely. And, that, and then, so literally, you know, you just start, you know, you put up the coffee. And you order in food, and you literally, um, you know, just start from the beginning. But, but I would say the majority of the time, you're doing a, uh, you know, rewrite pass where you're improving jokes and maybe fixing, really fixing a, f- a few scenes. Um, but you know, even so, it's just, you know, it's as they say, like being on a train moving 60 miles an hour. As you are laying the track in front of you, uh, there's really not a lot of room for error.
0: I've been developing my own TV show, and I have an incredible writing partner. So, shout out to Heather Holmberg and an amazing showrunner who would like to run my television show if and when it gets sold and then distributed. And he's done over 200 hours of television in the sitcom, especially kid, teen, and family space. And so, it was really exciting and also a great learning experience to listen to Adam Balinoff, and to hear all of the difficulties, all the intricacies, all the challenges that take place when you're working on a series, and you've got four cameras going, and you've got a writer's room, and you've got a lot of different people in the mix with strong opinions and big egos. And um, so anyway, it's, it's food for thought as I go into my show, which is called It's Fresh, and it has a lot to do with food as an aside
1: you know, at the very beginning of the year, whether it's half hour sitcom or one hour drama, you do sort of look at the overall arc of the season. On the one hour side, when I was on the Closer of Major Crimes, that meant really having a theme for the entire season. So for example, on the Closer, the first season, which was actually the only season that I didn't work on, the theme was Woman in a Man's World, which really describes Kira Sedgwick's character, Brenda Lee Johnson, sort of being dropped into the middle of this elite squad of detectives in Los Angeles and every story really hopefully to some degree reflected a situation where there was a woman in a man's world and then in the second season I believe it was brotherhood and so there were every every sort of story at least in some way tangentially touched on that and partners or maybe it was partners partnership that was season two and anyway partnership I think okay and then Um, you know, these large seasonal themes sort of help inspire the the, the stories and we would create a board and every one of us, and at that point, maybe there were almost a dozen of us, would bring in 10 or 15 very broad story notions and they would go up on the board as a one-liner. So it might be, you know, murder in the, uh, you know, in the yoga community or something and that would go on the board. We would literally fill a board with, 50 ideas. Uh, And then we'd go around the table. And if it's my turn to write, and there's already an an idea that I pitched or an idea that people think I would be simpatico with, a showrunner, James Duff uh, thought I might be simpatico with, he'd say, all right, why don't you take this idea? And we'd literally sit around for the next one to two weeks and just break that story and and, and really you know every scene and, and where we begin every scene and where we end every scene and if there was important dialogue we would pitch that out and I would leave the room with you know pages and pages of notes and construct an outline which would then go t- back to the showrunner uh, James and we would discuss that and it's just this process of going back and forth one of the big differences on the half hour comedy side is after your script is finished, you would do a a, a a pass with the entire table, and that's literally looking line by line and going, you know, can we beat this joke? Is there a better out for this scene? And and you do an entire pass, you know, and again, it's all it's gone back and forth several times between the showrunner and the writer, and then it goes to the table, and then it, it's rewritten again and again and again. It's just this continual churn which is you know both exciting but it's also it can be very draining i mean you're looking at these same pages and a lot of these same jokes for if especially if you're the writer for for a couple of months and it's also it's just it's it's a wonderful thing i mean when you see a especially when you have a scene that that you weren't sure if it's going to work and you just see these the actors elevate it and find things that you never could have imagined it's it's really um I don't know, be hyperbolic, but it's kind of a glorious thing. Really, it, it's it's so exciting. I really don't have anything else to, to really compare to creatively. But when everything is clicking, you just really understand, well, that's that's why I'm doing this. This is really what made me want to do this to begin with.
0: Those um, are some magical moments on all sides. I mean, I know I, as a talent manager, I have so many clients and everything is self-taped now. It used to be you'd yeah. go to the cast and director office, they'd sort of do a pre-read, then the producers would come in. Now everything's self-taped and being sent off to various showrunners and executive producers. And, uh, man, when that writing is good, it just helps the actors so much. And then in the reverse, you know, for a writer to hear their work come alive, impassioned and, you know, with a point of view and color, it's just exciting.
1: Oh, no, it's it, 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 it's wonderful. I mean, as as I, you know, discuss this with other people, uh, the analogy that I use is, you know, it's like if you fall in love with magic as a kid you love watching magic tricks and then you decide you want to become a magician and suddenly you know how everything is done and a lot of the magic goes away because um, again you know you, you know you, you're you really seeing everything from the inside and it's like when you you know when, when you see how the sausage is made it's a, it's a lot less you know enthralling than just the hot sausage off the plate um but um but then there are these moments where you just get swept up once again in what really made you fall in love with entertainment and the connection and storytelling aspects and you know in, the, in those moments all the other stuff and you know i think we know what some of the other difficulties are you know the, all the rejection and shows end and ego fights and all those other things but when it's purely about the work and, um, you know, I, I mean, there was, I, it can even, it, you can have both sides of that equation in, in on the same day and certainly in the same show and, and definitely in the same day. I can recall an episode of, I guess it was Major Crimes and it was just very hard. And the particular actors I was working with in the morning were just not making my life at all easy. It was just, it was really drudgery. And then we got to the end of the day and I was working with, um, Director Paul McCrane, who was an amazing actor, an amazing director, and a couple of uh, these were, I'm going to say, well, they were both guest stars. I was going to say day players, but anyway, and we had to improvise a comedic bit, and it was just, it all came to life, and it was really one of the great moments of 13 years, juxtaposed with only a few hours earlier, just you know, a terrible morning. More than 15 years ago, when I had made that leap, it was really not done done much at all. These days, I think there are half-hour writers who kind of move more freely between half-hour, one hour, and back. Um, but but for me, I was coming back from at that point um, Chicago on this term Cusack show. I had a very short first marriage that was ending. I was turning 40, and and you know, as I mentioned, you know, it's it's. It, not a great age i think to be out uh till 2 a.m especially if you eventually want to have a family or have a more stable life so i was looking for a big change um i did go back to the piano found a great uh, instructor a jazz pianist named terry trotter It's an amazing guy while i was working at the piano um i had an idea for a one hour drama and i would always wanted to write for er um and so as it happens my oldest brother was a Wall Street guy who then went to medical school and became a professor at Stanford Medical School and then he formed a biopharmaceutical company Uh, had an amazing story I mean it just just happened to be in my in my in my family I knew all of this the science that he was working on and and I really from from that created a one-hour drama that uh, sold to Sony and ultimately and cbs and ultimately was not produced but suddenly it opened all of these doors on the one hour side and i yep. went from being you know a, a half hour guy at a time when the half hour business was really falling off i mean I think that was an important factor too that i didn't mention in the late 90s early 2000s reality tv had um started to dominate you know this was in the days of uh, Who Wants to Be a Millionaire, and uh, and then obviously The Apprentice, and uh, Amazing Race, and all these various shows. There was a lot less television real estate. This is also- you Also uh,
0: writer Writer's
1: Strike, right? Yeah, well, this the Writer's Strike, there was a Writer's Strike in 2008. There had been, I'm trying to the last strike had been. There was the threat in, in, in the early 2000s of, 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 a, of a Writer's Strike. But suddenly there was, you know, I think we went from about 40 half-hour shows to about a dozen. And, and so, you know, many of my friends whose credits were, were much more impressive than mine were having a hard time finding work. And it was really in that environment where I really had to think, you know, what do I want to do next? And again, I just thought, well, I've got one story that I would love to tell. And, um, that was the script that ultimately brought me to the closer, which, which is where I stayed for, you know, the next, the next 13 years and really changed, the whole trajectory of my life so I guess if there's a broader lesson here it's you know it's about pivoting.
0: You mentioned something earlier you said you had a a short marriage and it really made some big changes in your life and you took some major pivots so now you've got another marriage and you've got a 12 year old daughter. Yeah. How does your family life Complement your work life? How does your work life complement your family? Well,
1: great question. And I, I, I do think that I've been very fortunate in this, uh, in the, in this second marriage. My wife is uh, an archeologist by training. Um, and so not, not in the business at all, but very bright woman who really um, has a great perspective on the business. I mean, she can really look at it from the outside and she understands all the terms that I'll use in terms of getting notes or what's going on. And I can really, I can pitch ideas to her and that sort of thing. But, um, but you know, she really has a very healthy per- perspective as to what's important and also to, you know, in terms of what I'm describing and and, and how things work. I, I will say something sort of funny is that, you know, so I mentioned, I have this, this 12-year-old Um, And as you can guess, you know, my wife and daughter would come and uh, visit the the sets, you know, fairly, fairly regularly. I actually remember one location um, where we had to, uh, this is, I guess, um, one of the Century City Hotel, the big hotel in Century City on, oh gosh, which is that, well, I've, I've forgotten which hotel it was, we had to throw a dummy that resembled adam arkin off the top and my daughter was there so he's he's a guy gets thrown out of a window and um my daughter is there in her stroller and my wife told me and i was i think elsewhere probably in video village where we're watching and she was they were watching the the body come down and and uh stella was yelling every time the body would go down again again she was so excited to see this body Know Stella exactly, um, but so excited to see this body being thrown off the uh off the, a, a, off the balcony. Um, um, but one of the other things was that we were watching as a family, we were watching Wizard of Oz together. Oh. I think she was eh, four or four and a half, something like that. And so we go from black and white Dorothy's house as Dorothy walks out and sees Oz for the first time, and Stella goes that's a set and I just thought that you know wow you, you know, what a
0: product of, of her parenthood I, I know
1: I thought oh that's so unfortunate I've completely spoiled all the magic <laughs> Jaded. I, I know now she doesn't even have one the money. greatest
0: scenes of 19 <laughs>
1: Of course, you know, I grew up in Chicago, New York, and it's all just magic and wonder. But for her, you grow up around the biz, and you, you get, you know, that that side of it. So, I'm so glad
0: uh, you brought up The Wizard of Oz, because, you know, I have so many analogies to The Wizard of Oz, hmm. and my platform, Passion to Power, we we say, follow your yellow brick road to success, yeah. because it's not a straight road. It can often be very, very curvy and go in many directions you don't expect, and course right. the scarecrow. I mean I have so many analogies it's one of my all-time favorite films and um so different than the original books
1: yeah <laughs> well, you know I mean I think you know m- many incredibly uh fortunate things that have happened to me over the, the years one was while I was at USC film school I had a, I had a mentor a wonderful guy named Paul Friedman who'd worked on shows like Bewitched and other things. And we actually worked on a script together at that point. I would have been in what my mid-later 20s and he would have been as old as I am now. And, uh, and as I was trying, I was talking through various emotional things, he said, well, you know, I, goes, I know a guy who's training to be a therapist who you should really talk to. And he introduced me to a guy who just finished his program. He was doing his you know, internship at that point. So I think he was... Uh, $25 an hour, imagine going to therapist for $25 an hour.
0: And a couple of euros.
1: <laughs> yeah, exactly. This was an internship in 1988. And Dennis had written on Welcome Back, Hotter, which was for those of us of a certain age, obviously a show we remember, and also co-written My Favorite Year. And then in his mid-30s said, I really want to do something different. And so had uh, had become a therapist. So he really understood. I could, you know, he, uh, as a guy and somebody who was not that much older than me, you know, we could talk about the human experience part of it. But but as I continued to see him and said, Oh, I had a meeting with so and so, he could say, and did say, Oh, that guy's a jerk. If you thought he lied to you, he probably did, or whatever. And he really knew both sides, um, you know, of the experience, really understood entertainment, and I think he's really made his niche over the many years since then, although he's now writing uh, mystery novels, too, but working, (laughs) yeah, working with people in the entertainment business, um, you know, because he really understands all of the issues relate to the creative process, both you know, the literal creative process of you know, working on the material, but also what we deal with, which is you know, so unique to, to our you know, our business agents and, and managers and you know, dealing with executives and what production is like and working with actors and all of that. But um, you know, again, one of these cases where um, you know, he probably could have continued to work as a writer you know, for any number of years, but, but I think felt like he needed to make more of a human connection that he wasn't making. And it just, uh, it was not as fun for him and really wanted to pursue, um, you know, something, uh, you know, satisfying. I mean, that really is something that I see reflected in the lives of many people around me. I mentioned that I had a brother who was on Wall Street, who became a doctor, and now he's a neurologist, psychiatrist, who also runs a a pharmaceutical company, et cetera, whatever. And, and you know, but he also sees patients. Um, my father, who was a PhD in political science and then was an executive at General Foods, went to law school, started law school at age 62, became a legal aid attorney at 67 and did that almost until he, he passed away in his, in mid eighties. You know, I mean, I think reinvention.
0: You know about pivots and reinvention.
1: Yeah. And so, and I love telling that story. And Thank you for letting me go afield here just because I feel like if there's somebody listening to your podcast who is thinking, um, well, I'm too old to try that. Um, you know, my father, um, God bless him. And I miss him every day would, would tell anybody who asked, you just have to pretend that there really is no clock or calendar. And, and, um, a family story, and I'm. Yeah, I, I apologize, but thank you for indulging me. Um, my father, um, my parents were at, I think it was a wedding, uh, and this is now many years ago, probably 25 years ago, and he was telling his story to um, somebody that he met at, like you know, the dessert table. Um, and it was a woman who was then I think in her early 40s and he mentioned that he'd recently become a lawyer He was probably 70 at the time he was talking to her and she said well I always wanted to be a veterinarian and so um, you know they talked about it and what she you know could could do and, you know again it's one of those things I'm too old to do this and we got the most beautiful letter from her they stayed in touch um, you know when she was accepted to an offshore veterinary school and you know, some years later, she was a veterinarian and has been a veterinarian for all these years. And I love, I love telling that not just because, of, you know, of literally what she did, but but also because it just goes to show you that if you if you run into the right person at the right moment in your life and you're receptive to the message that they they're putting out there, your life can change in, in a miraculous way. Um, certainly, you know, we all have the power I- I- every day to, 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 find ourselves moving in a, a new, different, positive direction if we're willing to, uh, to make the leap. So, oh my God, wonderful.
0: you do so many great analogies and metaphors that this is going to be my wrap up. I have to jump back in and say that my dad was in political science. Well, he was a political sociologist
1: oh, wow. and
0: he always said life is a series of contingencies.
1: Hmm. that's very profound have to really really it is it's it
0: is saying about your dad you know you just don't know who that person is who's going to inspire you to make a little left turn instead of a right or a right turn and I'm not talking politics but you know yeah. uh inspire which direction and uh and speaking of leaps you know uh you're talking to a former ballerina who became you know an entertainment executive so Yeah. Passion to power. That's why the show is and you mention all those words, finding your passion and then finding your power, you know, and they're they're congruous and they're integrated. And they, were,
1: they really are. I mean, the thing that, is, and you mentioned, I mean, I'm sure I know I, I went we'll let you wrap up in a second. I was just gonna say that that the things that you learn, no doubt, as a ballerina in terms of discipline and other things, I mean, you could, you would obviously be able to say really had an application. And I think also, you know, working, working in the arts or entertainment, particularly if, you know, you you move towards something creative, every bad job that I've ever had, every bad relationship that went wrong, all of these things in some way will factor into the experience in a way that um, you will draw from them. You know, you stay at the table, you will eventually win. And you do you just, you just got to stay at it and just, you know, just uh, not, not allow yourself to, to give into those negative thoughts and feelings that we all have.
0: So if we were doing an outro, which piece of Chopin would you be playing?
1: Oh gosh. Well, I'm working on, I, I would probably be playing, which, which, no, I think it's Give me a little, come on. Yeah, no, I mean, there's a, there's a particular nocturne that, that I've been working on. I'll send you a, I'll send you a, a professional doing it so you can hear how it's really supposed to sound. But I, I, I love that Chopin. But oh, uh, I love
0: Chopin too. Well, you know, I'm a
1: classical ballerina, so I'm. Yes, ballerina. that's that's great. Well, okay. Michelle, I'd be very. I, I hope I provided something of, of use, and if you, I'd, I'd be more than happy to sit down and continue this conversation if anybody is interested.
0: Oh, that's fantastic. And how can people find you? Should they reach out through LinkedIn, through IMDB Pro? Do you have social media handles?
1: Um, honestly, the easiest way to reach me is is my email address, which is just my name, at gmail.com. And if it's any question that I can answer in 30 words or 40 words or less, I'll be more than happy to.
0: That's fantastic. Signing off. It's been All right, a-
1: Michelle. Such a pleasure. And uh I, again hope hope this was uh, some, some use.
0: Yeah, you're a man, Chatham.
1: Talk to you uh, soon. I see you soon. Bye-bye.